You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolness. You can follow me on Twitter at John Stolness. And coming up, we're going to break down this week's matchup between the Eagles and the Patriots. Week one of the NFL season for the Birds, finally here as they try to defend their NFC championship and go one step further here in 2023. Now, normally I like to have a writer for one of the SB Nation team sites, which is, of course, with the Patriots, Pat's Pulpit. But... Uh, we weren't able to lock anything down this week. Not sure why, but, uh, you know, send a bunch of emails, send a bunch of DMs out. Don't get any response. Get ghosted a little bit. So I will provide the intel on the Patriots here uh, as we get ready for week one. Also, I'll, I'll just give some quick reaction to last night's Chiefs versus Lions game, the first game of the NFL season. And it was a good one with a surprising ending there. Is Jonathan Gannon the biggest villain yeah, as far as any Eagles coach in franchise history, and I, I would argue in Philadelphia sports history, we may be getting there after some controversial comments, more controversial comments from Jonathan Gannon in an athletic article this week. And then uh, for whatever reason, uh, some folks are putting out some clickbaity quarterback rankings and taking some shots at Jalen Hurts in the process. So we'll talk about all that coming up here on this edition of Eye on the Enemy. So let's just jump right in here to this Eagles versus Patriots matchup. And New England comes into the year I think it's the consensus choice to finish at the bottom of the AFC East. You look at the Bills, you look at the Dolphins, uh, you look at the um, uh, who am I, the Jets with Aaron Rodgers there now, and I think you have to slot those three teams ahead of New England. You look at the quarterback situation, it's, it's not close with all three of those different teams, and they have loaded rosters, all three of those teams really should make the playoffs, or they have a good argument to make the playoffs. The AFC is far more loaded than the NFC is coming in here to 2023. So many good quarterbacks in that conference. There are going to be some pretty good teams that finish on the outside looking in. And you could make the argument that New England may be one of those teams as well. Of all of the teams that finish in last place in their division this year, the Patriots will probably be the best of them. But that doesn't mean the Patriots are, quote unquote, good. When you look at this Patriots team and the roster and how the last couple of seasons have gone without Tom Brady, the one word that I think you keep coming back to is mediocre. That's what this team is. They they just ooze blah when you look at them. And that's kind of, as you, as you see the roster, especially on offense, it's a very blah roster. They don't do anything particularly unique. At least they haven't uh, over these last two years here in the Tom Brady era. And Bill Belichick used to be a terrifying head coach to go up against. You know, doesn't seem quite as frightening without his Hall of Fame quarterback. He seems almost, I don't know, human. Like a human being who doesn't know what to do, doesn't know every right button to push. And frankly, when you've got a star quarterback like Tom Brady, the best who ever did it, you don't really have to push a whole lot of buttons other than just to say, Tom, go do your thing. Now, the Patriots offense was, again, very vanilla, very dry. 
uh, had a lot of difficulty scoring, a lot of difficulty moving the ball last year. And so Bill Belichick decided to go ahead and upgrade the offensive coordinator spot. And he went out and he got one of the really good ones. Bill O'Brien has come on board as the team's new offensive coordinator. His track is a really good one. Uh, the, the, the Patriots this year went out and they signed Juju Smith-Schuster, of course, formerly of the Kansas City Chiefs and a a prolific tweeter. Uh, where that'll be um, kind of a, an interesting matchup this week uh, as uh, he, him and his uh, his Twitter guys uh, that he uh, was was sparring with during the course of the offseason. I think it was Darius Slay, right? Well, uh, likely they probably won't be facing each other one on one, but uh, there'll be a lot of trash talking on the field, I'm sure, with Juju and the Eagles. Um, but the PH Patriots signed Smith Schuster, but also lost Jacoby Myers. So I think those two guys kind of cancel each other out. Uh, they went and they signed Calvin Anderson and Riley Reif. Uh, for the offensive line from the free agent market. Um, and they signed Mike Gusecki, pretty good tight end, who played for the Dolphins the last few seasons to help uh, with the passing game. But uh, offensively, this is this season is pretty much going to revolve around what Mac Jones is able to do now in his third season. Jalen Hurts' former teammate at Alabama is looking to recaptures some of the mojo uh, that he lost last year after having a very solid rookie season, went 10-7 and seven in his first season, making 17 starts in his rookie season uh, with the Patriots and finished the season with a 92.5 quarterback rating, 223.6 yards per game, uh, had a completion percentage of 67.6, threw for 3,801 yards, 22 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, a very, very good season uh, for a rookie quarterback, but he took a step back last year. Uh, he missed three games, uh, made 14 starts, uh, went 6-8 and eight in those 14 starts, saw his completion percentage drop a bit from 67.6 to 65.2. Uh, yards per game was down to 214.1. Yards per completion down from 10.8 to 10.4. But air yards per attempt went down uh, quite a bit from, from, from 7.0 to 6.3. Uh, so again, some also the touchdowns way down 14 touchdowns to 11 interceptions as opposed to 22 and 13. Now, of course, you know, he's not going to have quite as many touchdowns because he played in three fewer games, but 14 touchdowns in 14 games. That's you do the math, folks. <laughs> one per game. Right. So Jones almost lost his job last year to his backup quarterback, Bailey Zapp. Uh, he went down, Jones did, in weeks five and six, and Bailey Zapp, in his absence, went 2-0, and looked halfway decent. Uh, and then in week seven, Jones came back in a Monday night game against the Bears, but was awful in that game. Zapp came in for him, uh, threw a touchdown, and it seemed like momentum was building for Zapp to take over as the starting quarterback, and the Jones days as uh, was the starting quarterback were going to be numbered. I mean, like, that's a quick trigger based off of the rookie season that he had to, to pull him that fast. But later in that game, uh, Zapp threw two interceptions, and then Jones started the following week, and he finished the season as the starter. Zapp is no longer the backup quarterback. Matt Corral is. But this is Jones' job for now, but he has a lot to prove this season. He was up and down last year. The completion percentage, as I mentioned, is down. Now, he, his his offensive weapons are not the best in the world either. He, he's not, he does not have A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith to throw to. Uh, he's not going to pile up passing yards with Devontae Parker, who is not what he was in his prime. He can, he can flash every now and then, but this is not a stud number one wide receiver. 
and Juju Smith-Schuster. And Smith-Schuster is going to play mostly out of the slot going up against Avante Maddox, and that'll be a pretty good matchup to watch here on Sunday. How does Avante Maddox match up with Juju Smith-Schuster given the issues that the Eagles had with him last year in the Super Bowl? It was a lot of damage that Smith-Schuster did in big moments uh, in that game, and uh, Avante Maddox is looking to get a little bit of revenge back, uh, and, and it should be a matchup that is in the Eagles' favor. Uh, Smith-Schuster's also been dealing with some injury issues, and so uh, we'll see how effective he is in the game on Sunday as well. Uh, the Patriots do have a couple of tight ends that you want to keep an eye on. They're not stars, but like I mentioned, Gasecki, who they just got from uh, the Dolphins and Hunter Henry, uh, make a pretty decent uh, two tight end formation. I would expect to see a fair number of uh, 12 personnel from Bill Belichick in this game. The Patriots, if they're going to do anything, they're going to probably have to do it as a run heavy, old school power running clock control offense. Ramondre Stevenson last year started just seven games for them and averaged only 12.4 carries per game, but he was the Patriots lead back Last season, the team was very careful not to overwork him uh, in the three games that they did give him more than 16 carries last year. He had 409 yards on 63 carries and two of those games. He had a 161 yard rushing game and a 172 yard rushing game. Now, some of the guys that he was sharing carries with last year are gone. He's not, I wouldn't say a bell cow guy, but he could be uh, an 18 to 20 carry guy this Sunday. And if the running game is really working, I would not be at all surprised to see Bill Belichick lean on him. Belichick historically has liked to have a multi-running back approach. I remember his, you know, remember his days with Tom Brady there. They never had that one running back. You know, they'd have James White doing some things here and there. And then, um, you know, sprinkling some other guys. Um, I'm trying to remember who from from the Super Bowl James White was sharing carries with in, in, the, in the backfield. They're just totally blanking right now. But... He's never had like that 1,213-yard rusher, kind of like the Eagles. They both feel the same way about splitting up carries for the running back. But if there is a matchup that favors the Patriots, it could be that power running game against inexperienced linebackers and safeties in the Eagles' defense, the middle of the Eagles' defense. And I think that's where you're going to see the Patriots really try to do a lot of damage, running the ball with a power running game up the middle and using those tight ends, using Smith-Schuster in the middle of the field. Can What would help with the power running game Getting solid production from Jordan Davis, Milton Williams, Fletcher Cox, and Jalen Carter, clogging up those running lanes in the middle of the defensive line and keeping Stevenson from getting those solid chunks. And you're going to need, uh, if they decide to run off tackle, you're going to need your edge rushers, specifically Brandon Graham and, Bra and Josh Sweat, to seal off those corners in, in obvious running downs. I think you're going to see Hassan Reddick maybe not come, maybe not be used on first down. Maybe he comes in on second and third down. Um, but uh, Nolan Smith probably almost certainly comes in just in pass rushing situations. But uh, the defensive line could help out those younger linebackers and those young safeties uh, if they can basically clog up some running lanes to keep uh, Stevenson from running around. But that is one of the things you worry about here on Sunday. Defensively, the Patriots offense may be a bore, but under Bill Belichick, the defense is always good. And last year, it did not get a lot of press, but they were very good in 2022, ranking third in DVOA behind only the 49ers and the Cowboys. According to DVOA, the Patriots had a better defense than the Eagles did last year. And they are returning just about everyone from last year's defense. Only Devin McCourty is not coming back. New England is supplementing that defense with its top three draft picks. 
on defense. And so uh, while New England doesn't have one of those studs like a Joey Bosa or Hassan Reddick or a, a James Bradbury, Darius Slay, um, they, maybe one guy, Matthew Judon would probably be the one guy, the edge rusher who had 15 and a half sacks for them last year. Uh, he had 12 and a half sacks the season before. He's the guy you really need to keep an eye on. Uh, Josh Uche is also a pretty good pass rusher. So the, the Patriots can get after the quarterback and it's going to be a test for Jordan Mailata who will probably be going up against Judon. Uh, my guess is that they're going to want to have Judon go up against him rather than Lane Johnson, who is an impenetrable force. Now, Jordan Mailata has the same ability to shut down an edge rusher the same as Lane Johnson does. But if you're if you're an offensive coordinator, if you're pardon me, if you're a defensive coordinator, how are you lining guys up? Who would you rather face? Who would you rather have your best guy face? And I think you'd rather have your best guy Judon face Jordan Mailata, provided Judon is comfortable playing on the other side of the defensive line. The really good ones are. And so that's likely the ma another matchup that you're going to want to keep an eye on here on Sunday afternoon. Um, but the Eagles are loaded with star power and a quarterback that Belichick admitted himself this week they can't really adequately prepare for. So if you're looking at this game and you're trying to figure out a reason how the Patriots or why the Patriots will win, here's a couple. Bill O'Brien, in his first game, makes an impact right away as the offensive coordinator, and Mac Jones looks more like the quarterback we saw in his rookie season than the one that everybody saw in his second season. You'd have Stevenson chewing up clock and yardage and taking advantage of the Eagles' inexperienced linebacking core, these fast linebackers who may, given their inexperience, be over-pursuing and get, and get cut off and uh, some, some big some big gaping holes open up the defensive that, that the Patriots defense would play as well as it did last year and frustrate the Eagles four-headed running game and get pressure on Jalen Hurts again with Judon getting to him with the Eagles perhaps getting being a bit sluggish or suffering from an early game surge thanks to the Tom Brady ceremony lots been made about the Tom Brady ceremony and the crowd will likely be really riled up for the pregame ceremony honoring Tom Brady but how into that will the players get? Will the players, first of all, how raucous will the crowd get? Will it carry over into the game? I mean, it's it's the opening week, so the crowd was likely to be pretty amped up anyway. But how much does that affect these players? And some of whom, many of whom probably did not play with Tom Brady. And, I, you know, who knows? I don't know that Tom Brady was necessarily buddies with a lot of guys on the team. I mean, he was so far up above all those guys. I think most of the guys um, on this team never played with Tom Brady. So they're not going to be necessarily terribly fired up. If there's any Jews, they might get it from the crowd. So maybe New England can jump out to a quick lead, riding the wave of the fans. But Again, I, I don't necessarily have a worry about that. My guess is the Eagles may give up an early score or two. Uh, maybe it's 10 nothing, you know, midway through the first quarter or by the end of the first quarter. But uh, the Eagles just really need to kind of survive that, that early surge. And then usually the talent will win out. But that is, that is a way the Patriots can win, is if they build up a bigger lead than I'm expecting, riding a crest from an excited crowd. And also, the Eagles special teams worries me. On their official depth chart, they still don't have a punter listed, and they still don't have a punt returner listed. Now, Aaron Sipas and, and Britton Covey are both on the practice squad. They will almost certainly be elevated for game day. But the Eagles are not happy with Sipas as their punter, and they're probably not happy with Covey as their returner. Covey was okay last year. They're probably more okay with Covey than Sipas. But they were actively trying out different punters. And it seems hard for me to believe that they couldn't have found someone better than to bring Sipas back. Now, I know a lot of that is holding for Jake Elliott. 
And you want Jake Elliott to feel comfortable in his holder, and Jake Elliott is more important than whoever your punter is. The Eagles punt less than most teams in the NFL. They go for it on fourth down an inordinate number of times. So the punter isn't as important as it is for other teams. But uh, generally speaking, we saw in the Super Bowl, you want to have a good punter on those third and 25 situations on your own 15 where you absolutely do need to punt the ball away. So my concern is a couple of bad special teams play will leave things in a dicey situation, give the Patriots a short field at a number of different points throughout the game. Now, some reasons the Eagles will win. Simply put, the Eagles are just a much better team. Jalen Hurts, we haven't talked about Jalen Hurts at all. Jalen Hurts has proven he can beat any defense. And the Patriots have had trouble with running quarterbacks in recent seasons. I saw these notes from a, a, a Ruben Frank article um, noting that their, their struggles with running quarterbacks in recent seasons. Last year in week three, the Patriots went up against Lamar Jackson, and Jackson ran the ball 11 times for 107 yards and one touchdown against them. In week seven, they played the Bears and Justin Fields. Fields ran the ball 14 times for 82 yards and a touchdown. Looking at Lamar Jackson again, he's faced the Patriots three times, and he has 38 rushing attempts for 223 yards and three touchdowns in those games. So Jalen Hurts, Bill Belichick said it himself during the, during the week leading up to the game. He was asked basically, can you have your third-string quarterback mimic Jalen Hurts and what he does back there in practices? And Belichick stated the obvious. There's no mocking up. Jalen Hurts in practice. There's no accounting for what he can do in practice. You you have to kind of do your best, but at the end of the day, Jalen Hurts is going to do what Jalen Hurts does, and you kind of just have to do your best to be ready for it. And there may not be a way for them to prepare for Jalen Hurts in this game. So if Jalen Hurts is doing Jalen Hurts things, there's not a whole lot that can that can negate a pass rush. And, and don't forget, with the RPOs and all the four and all the running backs the Eagles have, that can negate Juden. That can negate pass rushers. We saw it last year against the 49ers in the playoffs. We saw it virtually every time they played somebody that has a good pass rush. When the, when those edge rushers have to pause for a split second to see if, if, if Hurts is going to hand the ball off to one of the running backs or keep it himself or whether it's play action, it slows them down. Unless they just decide to pin their ears back and say, whatever happens, happens. If they're, if they're tentative, if they're pausing, if they're, if they're just delaying... For a half a second, that's enough for the Eagles to have them totally off balance in this game. And I think largely that that's what's going to happen. You know, they have a, the, the Patriots put starting right tackle Riley Reif on IR this week, which means um, the, the Eagles could have an advantage there um, with Hassan Reddick rushing uh, on the on that side of the line. Uh, it'll be we'll keep an eye on how Re on Reddick does with his surgically repaired thumb. But we've seen edge rushers play with this kind of an injury before and be just fine. Uh, so hopefully the same can be said for Reddick there. But, um, you know, those are the, I think it's, there are more reasons why the Eagles will win this game than the Patriots will win this game. That's why the Eagles are favored by four. Uh, and so I'll give you my prediction on this game coming up here at the end of the podcast. But um, that's kind of your look at the Patriots here as we get into uh, this uh, about 48 hours as I'm recording this now, or that's nah, 48 hours. It's uh, yeah, 48 hours, about a little more than 48 hours as I'm recording this before kickoff uh, against the Patriots. All right, let me give you my reaction to last night's Chiefs versus Lions game. Uh, great first game of the NFL season. Went down to the wire and a surprise ending that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Maybe as the week went along and we found out that tight end Travis Kelsey might not play, hyperextended his knee. I know Jason Kelsey said on their podcast that he thought Travis might play. He ended up not playing in the game. And, you know, we can see how big of an impact Travis Kelsey has because 
the Chiefs wide receivers are not very good. And you wonder, you know, with the with the plays that the receivers made, even with Kelsey on the field, the receivers made plays in the Super Bowl last year. Why couldn't the Chiefs wide receivers play like that in the Super Bowl? You had Kadarius Tony letting a, a, a beautifully thrown crossing route go right through his hands and into the hands of a, a Lions defensive back who ran it in for a pick six. Why couldn't we have seen a play like that in the Super Bowl? Why couldn't we have seen Sky Moore being ineffective in the Super Bowl? Why, why, why? Why, why did the Chiefs basically play a perfect game in the Super Bowl? I mean, the, the, the Chiefs make one mistake in that game and the Eagles win that game. And they didn't make a mistake that entire game. And yes, the Lions took advantage of the fact that Kelsey was out. And they took advantage of those different plays. But um, nonetheless, it was an impressive showing by the Detroit defense. I mean, even with Travis Kelsey out, in previous seasons, Patrick Mahomes would have found a way to beat that Detroit Lions team. But the, the Lions do not go into a defending Super Bowl champion's home and win that game. I don't care what the circumstances are. You certainly don't do it on opening night as the Chiefs are celebrating their Super Bowl title. But they went in there and they made a statement. It was a statement win for the Lions. The Lions are a chic pick to win the NFC North. They are a chic pick to make a deep playoff run. I haven't seen anybody picking them to go to the Super Bowl, but I have seen a few mocks that have them going at least to the NFC Championship game. In previous years, this Detroit Lions team would have folded in that kind of a game. But I think it's clear that Campbell is helping them turn a page, and I think they should be considered the favorites in the NFC North, and you're seeing why people were excited about them. Beating Mahomes in Kansas City is a big deal, even without Kelsey and even without uh, Chief star Chris Jones, who's looking for a new contract and is, and is holding out. I did think one thing was interesting as we watched uh, as we watched the Lions and their offensive personnel usage. Uh, first round running back Jameer Gibbs, remember they took in the, take him in top 10, was at least top 12, uh, the rookie, they surprisingly took that high, got only nine touches. Now, they had said leading up during the course of the week that he, they were going to limit his touches because they want him to stay fresh during a during the 17-game season, and that's probably the wise course of action. Uh, but he only had seven rushes for 42 yards in the game. That was 14 carries fewer than free agent signing David Montgomery got. So, uh, very interesting game on Thursday Night Football, the first game of the NFL season, Chiefs versus Lions, and Detroit comes away with a, a hard-earned victory. I'm sure most people had that as an L on their schedule, so to get that one, that gives them a big leg up to start off the season, and the Chiefs in a very competitive AFC fall to 0-1. One of the things we all saw this week that drove us crazy, there's actually these next two things I'm going to talk about were both things that drove Eagles fans crazy this week. Uh, the first one, th this this made everybody mad, and I, I think it made everybody in the Eagles organization mad as well. This Jonathan Gannon article in The Athletic, a profile on Gannon and how he's, how he's, the, he's the new man in charge in Arizona. He's the big man on campus. We talked last week about his, his speech there. This dude is a fraud. I don't know how he has been so highly regarded around the league all this time. You really wonder if maybe people just get caught up in an echo chamber. People hear, oh, Jonathan Gannon's a great coach. He's a great head coaching candidate. He's a great this, he's a great that, without any real proof. That happens sometimes. A couple of guys start, it's like a whisper down the lane kind of thing. And a couple of guys start talking, some, some influential guys start talking a guy up, and then suddenly the entire industry believes it. And this guy's getting opportunities that no one in, with his track record would have ever gotten before. There's no, there's no earthly reason why Jonathan Gannon should have been getting head coaching gigs, interviews. None. Why? The, I mean, we've talked about it before. The Eagles' defense 
didn't do anything special schematically. They just had a phenomenally deep roster. That was a that defense was a product of Howie Roseman. It didn't have anything to do with Jonathan Gannon. But he comes off in this article as like I'm the big man on campus now. This is my opportunity, and I'm gonna I'm gonna grab it by the by the throat, and we're gonna I'm gonna hoist it up against the wall, and we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna show this I'm gonna show this team this franchise this league that I'm for real. And this article is just filled with more half truths, sarcasm, some outright lies that I think just it, it's turning this guy into the most hated former Eagles coach in franchise history. And I would say one of the biggest villains in Philadelphia sports history. Now, there are others. I had a lot of people coming at me with Rich Kotite. Do people still really hate Rich Kotite? I don't I don't hate Rich Kotite. I think he was kind of a buffoon, but I don't think Rich Kotite did anything sinister. And that's the thing. Like there is a level of animosity and hatred for Jonathan Gannon right now, and it's not because he was an incompetent coach. Because I don't think he was incompetent. I don't think he did anything special, but I don't think he was bad. But when you factor in all of the things that he has said since leaving the Eagles, when you factor in the fact that he was tampered with and was essentially in, in conversations with the Cardinals and distracted in the weeks leading up to the Super Bowl between the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. And then the defense comes out and looks totally unprepared for what Andy Reid had planned. And then, you know, you hear the reports that, you know, at the Eagles post-Super Bowl get-together that everybody was obviously in a sour mood. Everybody was dejected. Everybody was disappointed. And Jonathan Gannon's in there as happy as can be because he's going to go interview with the Arizona Cardinals the next day. I mean, th all, this guy is a fraud. He's an absolute fraud. And everything he said in this athletic article this week just further proves how out of touch he is, how, how much, how little self-awareness the man has. And how awkward he is. He just is an awkward person. I've never met him, but that's just the vibe you get. And I think from the people who've met him, they say the same thing about him. The headline in this article was that Jonathan Gannon had taken responsibility for what happened at the end of Super Bowl 57 when he said in the athletic article, quote, I'm the reason we lost the Super Bowl. Now, the author says, quote, mimicking the criticism. What does that mean, mimicking the criticism? Was he simply repeating the criticism he's heard and agreeing with it? Or was he mocking the criticism? And if I know anything about Jonathan Gannon, and if I know the reason that that the part that after Jonathan Gannon's, Gannon's quote, the author said mimicking the criticism, I think Jonathan Gannon is mocking everyone who said that he's the reason they lost the Super Bowl. And no one has ever said that Jonathan Gannon was the sole reason they lost the Super Bowl. But if you're laying, if you're laying down markers here, He's certainly number one, and he certainly gets the lion's share of the blame. And this is a man who quite clearly is mentally incapable of honesty, culpability, or transparency. He's smug, he's arrogant, and I don't think he's all that bright. It's one thing to be smug and arrogant if you're really, really smart and have a lot of success. I don't think that's what we're dealing with here. Um... He also retold a story. He told a story about uh, uh, Nick Sirianni giving up play calling duties and essentially taking credit for the idea. He noted, you know, the author talks about, you know, the Eagles were two and five, and 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 Gannon is quoted as saying that he told uh, uh, Nick Sirianni 
to, quote, so give the play calling to Shane, Gannon suggested, referring to offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. Or they're going to look at me like a failure, Gannon remembers Sirianni saying. Who gives a F, Gannon replied. We're going to get fired if we're 3-14. and 14. And then Sirianni handed offensive play calling duties to Steichen, who then came into his own. Uh, and then, you know, Gannon goes around, goes on to say, you know, that Nick was phenomenal, um, that he was, uh, that uh, Gannon used to call him Captain Chaos in Indianapolis because Sirianni was such a hothead on the practice field. But this was not a, this was not a complimentary picture that was painted. And all of the reporting regarding Nick Sirianni's decision to hand over play calling duties to Shane Sykin completely defy anything Jonathan Gannon says here. Nick Sirianni and, and the other Eagles insiders, coaches, have all talked about this, that he, he went to, to Jeff Lurie and, and High Roseman and, and said, hey, do I have permission to do this? Like, this is, this is what I want to do. Th there's no way. So Jonathan Gannon wants to be the genius. The brains behind the operation who, who, who told Nick Sirianni to give up play-calling duties to Shane Steichen. He's essentially taking credit for, for the Eagles' offense taking off last year and Shane Steichen now being a head coach. It's just, it's just ludicrous. It's ludicrous to think, for him to think that anybody would buy that. Uh, but then he tells another story. As a defensive backs coach in Indianapolis and later a coordinator in Philadelphia, Gannon remembers driving home from the team facility plenty of nights, pissed as hell at some of the decisions being made above him. But he wasn't in charge, so he watched, learned, stayed in his lane. And then Gannon is quoted in the article as saying, quote, I know why I bit my tongue because of politics in the building, where my seat was. I didn't want to offend somebody, whatever. No more, says the author. I don't have to do that now, and it's bleeping freeing. So we're to believe that Jonathan Gannon is watching this, this impeccably run front office, this head coach that he has just called great, and this offensive coordinator who he suggested start playing, calling the plays, but he's sitting there and watching all of these different things, pissed as hell at some of the decisions being made above him. Give me an example, Haas. And quite honestly, no. And if you did feel that way, what's your problem, man? What is your problem? What do you, what could you possibly have to complain about in a 14-3 season where you went to the Super Bowl? What, what, what are the decisions that are being made that are just driving you so crazy? This guy's a moron. This guy's an idiot. And then in, in talking about the, 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 two, the two touchdown catches um, that, that uh, the, the Chiefs scored on those broken plays, Gannon essentially blamed Darius Slay for the first one. He said um, that play should have been dead based on the call. Translation, the Eagles should have covered it. We should have been fine, he says. Defended that play all year. So essentially laying the blame at Darius Slay for that one. That's, that's real good, man. You know, blaming your player. Fantastic stuff there. And then in this, for the second touchdown, it seemed like he was claiming responsibility for it. But again, Gannon is so awkward in talking to people that it was a bunch of football word soup. I couldn't understand what the heck he was saying. And he's, he's just, he's a liar. He swore after the NFC Championship game that he said, I'm staying here, when he knew that the Cardinals wanted to talk to him about being a head coach. You know, he just, this, this guy, there's a reason that I do think, he, for me, he's the most, he's the most vile former Eagles coach of any kind in franchise history. People come at me with Chip Kelly. Yeah, I, I can see that. He tore apart a really, really good team. Uh, and Chip Kelly seemed like kind of a, 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 a an aloof dunderhead who was not a good, not a really easy guy to play for. But this guy, this guy cost the Eagles a Super Bowl. And 
he was already talking with another team in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. Completely distracted. Didn't seem to care that they lost the Super Bowl at the at the post-game press party, at the post-game party. And now coming out with all of this revisionist history BS, it's garbage. And don't believe any of it. The last thing I wanted to rant about were these clickbait QB rankings. For some reason, a few QB rankings came out this week that went out of their way to deflate Jalen Hurts' value. The, the, the biggest offender here is uh, the one that we saw in The Ringer uh, by Steven Ruiz. He does these every year. And I don't know anything about Steven Ruiz. I don't really read his work all that much, but this got a lot of attention. And, you know, I have no problem with people who think outside the box. I think that's fine. And I do get it if Hertz isn't your particular brand of whiskey. That's fine, too. He's not a perfect quarterback. He doesn't He doesn't have, you know, I, I certainly think if you're, if you're ranking quarterbacks, I don't think you could have him at one. And I could certainly see an, ar- an argument to be made that if you have him at four or five or six, there's some really, really good quarterbacks out there. And it might be really close between a lot of those guys. I believe Hertz has proven to be the second or third best quarterback in the league. The Super Bowl convinced me of that. But I could see it. If you have Mahomes and Burrow and Allen and Herbert ahead of him, then I, I think there's even a defense for Lamar Jackson, who's a former league MVP. But here were Ruiz's rankings. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, uh, Joe Burrow, uh, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence, Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, and Jalen Hurts. Hurts as the number 10 guy behind Dak Prescott and Matthew Stafford? I'm sorry, but there's no ranking in which Matthew Stafford, who missed most of last year, who contemplated retirement this offseason, should be ranked ahead of Jalen Hurts in any rankings. And given the fact that Prescott led the league in interceptions last year and has not been able to get his team into an NFC Championship game yet, how do you have him ranked to get ahead of Jalen Hurts? Now, he's in this article, he had a whole bunch of cool graphics, and you know he says he watches the film, and that's such a cop-out. Like, you can say, I watch the film. I could say I watch the film. I'm sure he does watch film, but what are you seeing in the film that that makes you believe this? It's just not it's just not a defensible position to take. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers maybe there's an argument there, but Aaron Rodgers didn't play that well last year. Look, I mean, his talent level was was less than what Jalen Hurts had, but that's that that doesn't have anything I mean, just how granular are we getting with these things? I guess is the point. Like, look at the record, look at the stats, look at what Hurts did in big games. Like, what is it? So, we saw this in baseball, okay? So I, 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 as most of you know, I cover the Phillies for the good fight and for Billy Penn and I have a, a hit and season podcast and uh, about the Phillies. And, you know, for a lot of years there, when the Phillies were kind of in the dark ages, when sabermetrics and analytics were really gaining a foothold in baseball, uh, a lot of us who followed the team started to just go, go way overboard on, on numbers, on analytics, on all of the all of the other stuff there, and it, we you know we kind of needed to do that because there there needed to be a readjustment. And the Phillies went and they got this big analytics team, and we know analytics is a huge part of football now as well. But in baseball, I think that the community has learned to take both, take the numbers, take the analytics, but also take it with traditional baseball knowledge and ways of doing things and um, using you know using the numbers, but also also from time to time using the eye test to tell you. A more, a more complete story on a player. And I think sometimes with some of the sabermetric football dudes, like, like Steven Ruiz seems to be and, and some others, you can get so wrapped up in numbers, you can get so wrapped up in the calculations and the games being played on the computer that you don't actually 
pay attention to what you're seeing. Now, and again, he says he he says he watches the film. I there's no defense to putting Matthew Stafford ahead of Jalen Hurts if you're watching film. Because first of all, there wasn't any film of Matthew Stafford last year. He missed most of the season. But if you watch these guys play, you can see with your eyes who's the more effective quarterback. So are we talking just strictly quarterback mechanics? Are we talking strictly throwing the football? Are we not factoring in running ability in any way, shape, or form in this? I mean, it's just, it's not a defensible position. And you look stupid. You look foolish when you come out with saying something like that. And I, you know, there's all that, is he just for takes? Is he just a, is he a hot take machine? I don't care. It's just dumb. And it took, you know, it, it just gets makes people mad. And you had to know you're going to rile up some Eagles fans with that. It was just, it's a bad ranking. I don't understand the rationale behind it. I don't understand the reasoning for, for coming out with a list like that, which is so clearly an outlier. And I'm not saying, like, I don't want everybody to have group think, but you've got to be able to, and in the article that I read, and maybe he's updated it since then, there was no real defense for his rankings. It was just like some some like uh, some graphs and, and a, a blurb, and that was it. If you look around the, uh, the rest of the... Um, uh, media sites. AP has Hertz fifth, ESPN sixth, NFL.com number two. CBS has quarterbacks ranked in tiers, and they have Hertz in the second tier of quarterbacks outside of Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen, and in the grouping with Herbert, Jackson, and Lawrence. And I think that's totally fair. I think that's a fair place to have him. Totally a fair place to have him. But to have him behind Rodgers and Prescott and Matthew Stafford right now, coming into the 2023 season, when he was the MVP runner-up, and played that way in the Super Bowl. It just, it, it defies logic. And really, you, you can't, sometimes we can get so wrapped up in numbers, we can get so wrapped up in all these little things that you forget to take a look at the larger picture and use logic every once in a while. Sometimes the eye test is logic. Sometimes, sometimes you have to balance those two things out. We've learned that in baseball, and I think there's some football folks who, who need to learn that lesson as well. All right, time to give you my prediction. For this Sunday, and I, I think you could hear me alluding to it in the first part of the podcast, where I, I really did feel like the Eagles may have to kind of ride a wave a little bit, um, or at least resist the wave that the the Patriots may ride uh, from the pregame ceremony. But I don't think it's going to be as as big a thing as people are making it out to be. Again, um, the fan base is sure going to be fired up, but the players on the team I don't think care a whole lot about Tom Brady. Uh, so I don't know how much of a of a lift it's going to give them. And I think this Eagles team is. Uh, it's just, it's so very talented. I, I am a little bit worried about the the running game uh, for New England and how the linebackers and safeties are going to play. But everywhere else, the Eagles just have such a clear advantage uh, that I think that uh, I think this is going to be a fairly easy Eagles win. Uh, I think the Eagles are going to be able to put up some points against this Patriots defense. I'm going to say Eagles 30, Patriots 20 in the in an opening week, week one victory in New England. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. And I want to remind you, we have a BGN radio preview show up uh, on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. We've got all the other podcasts uh, up on the feed as well, previewing this game. So this is just one of many. Uh, so I hope you're listening during the course of the week to get you all set up for this big matchup between the Eagles and the Patriots. Really, every matchup is going to be big as this team is trying to uh, get as many games under their belt to get that top spot in the NFC once again uh, for a return trip to the Super Bowl. And it all gets underway on Sunday afternoon in New England. Get ready, everybody. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week. Actually, early in the week for the Thursday game against the Vikings. We'll do that uh, early in the week. We'll have an early podcast up for you as well uh, to get you ready for Eagles-Vikings. So enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Eye on the Enemy. Eye on the Enemy.
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.